Jesus in action. I love Luke for that. I love that we get to see Jesus in motion. In January, I had shared a two-part series on Experience the Extraordinary. Uh, If you weren't here for that series, I'd encourage you in your programs. This morning, I had them print in there, the URLs for those messages. You can find them online. Would love to encourage you, if you weren't here for those messages, please go back and listen to those. It'll make today make a lot more sense with what I share, and I'll, I'll try to make it as simple as I can even today. But I just would encourage you, go back, listen to those messages. They're important. And what I shared in those messages was the premise, the understanding that I haven't met anyone that doesn't want to live an extraordinary life. I have met no one that says, I hope to live a life of blah. Anybody ever talk to somebody like, that's what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for blah. No, I don't know anybody like that. Everybody in some measure, and I think God puts that in us. So I want to say where, the, where that originates from. God puts within you an understanding and an idea, you're important in the kingdom of God, and I made you for a purpose. And so then the question is, well, how do we walk into that? How do we walk into this abundant life that Jesus promises, this rich and satisfying life? And, and from what I have been able to see, what I understand is it's not that people don't want to experience the extraordinary, or not that they're even going after it. But what I'm convinced of is two things. I'm convinced that people have not been shown a reliable pattern of how to live extraordinary lives. And I'm also convinced that they're aiming for the wrong things. They're basically working toward, they're living for the wrong scorecard. So what I want to do is is basically kind of a two-part message this week and next week. Today is about journeying with Jesus. So that's the first thing. For you to experience the extraordinary, we've got a journey with Jesus together. That's where we're going to start. And then next week what I want to do is, is piggyback on this message on change your scorecard. Because if you do those two things, if you journey with Jesus for a lifetime, and if you change the scorecard that you might be living for, I'm convinced that you'll experience the rich and satisfying life that Jesus promised. He promised it. So what I want to put before you today is a process that says this is what a journey with Jesus looks like. And we're going to do that as we continue in Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. I hope you've got your Bible with you today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. It simply recognizes the fact that these words are God's words and there's something special about them. And so we want to pay attention to them. So Luke chapter 9, I'm going to be in the first 17 verses, starting in verse 1, going through 17. And it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch, he heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who were in need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside, to find lodging and get provisions. For we're here in a desolate place, but he said to them, You give them something to eat. 
Jesus is going to take you on a journey. He's going to push you sometimes. You give him something to eat. That wasn't what the disciples were hoping for. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. And there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. In the message I shared in January, I shared that our ongoing mission of the church is this, that there's these four things that when you look at the life of the disciples in the New Testament, this is the journey they went on to experience the extraordinary. And it started with Jesus' invitation to say, come follow me. So they found this place of belonging as a part of the followers of Jesus. It started there. And then from there, next week, what we're going to find in, in Luke chapter 9 as we get into verse 18 Jesus asked the questions, who do people say that I am? And Peter then says, you are the son of God. So they come to a place of believing in Jesus. So they belong to Jesus, they believe in him, and what's happening is Jesus is serving as a mentor, the 12 disciples are mentees, and he's showing them the way to live. And then what does he do in in verse chapter 1 and verse chapter 2 of today's passage? He sends them out. He says, now go bring the kingdom of God to the villages that are around here. This is the process of what it looks like to journey with Jesus. So where I want to begin today is for you to do a piece of self-assessment, asking yourself, where are you at in this journey? Have you found belonging here? If not, you need to start there. Find a place of belonging in the church. The easy way to do that, of course, we have connect groups, smaller groups, because what you're going to find is you can be in this larger setting, but it's hard to get to know one another and really find belonging. So jump in a connect group. We're going to relaunch those for the summer in another month. Or you can jump in the Next Step class. We do the fourth Sunday of the month, every month. Once you've been here for a couple of weeks, say, you know what? I'd like to find out more. I'd like to get connected. Jump in the Next Step class. Find a place of belonging. So that's the first thing. Next thing is, have you made a decision to believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead? And do you believe that deeply in your hearts? Do you believe in the power of God? So that's where we want to lead you to. And here's what I'm going to say. Most Christians, they stop there. They, they live in the place of belonging. They want to find community. God gives us that desire. They want to believe in Jesus because they know there's a promise of eternal life there, so they believe in Jesus. But then they, they kind of stop there. They, they don't take the next steps of, now I want to become like him, and not just become like him just because that might be a cool thing to do, but I want to become like him so that I can bring others in the same. This is the process. So what I want to put before you today is we as a church have organized ourselves in such a way that we want you to fully complete the journey Jesus has you on. In September, we're launching a mentoring movement. This is what I talked about in January. And everyone's invited. So if you already have a place of belonging here, if you already believe in who Jesus is, I encourage you, go online, sign up to say, I want to become a part of the mentoring program because I need to become equipped so I can bring others in that same process. And here's what I would suggest to you. If you walk through this cycle, watch if by next May and June, which is what it takes, nine months, starts in September, it's a nine-month process of helping you to live and then to look like Jesus. If by next June, you don't start to say, I'm different, I'm starting to experience things I haven't before, there's a joy in there that I haven't yet known, just watch. 
And we'll see. Now, about 25 of you are going to believe me, and you'll sign up. The rest of you, by the next year, you're going to start to believe me. By year three, we might actually get people believing, like, that actually is legit. I should follow after that and journey with Jesus. So my goal today is just to simply let you know you're invited. And we're going to have people, we already are forming groups, so if you want to sign up, you need to sign up this week. Uh, The deadline is next Sunday because we're trying to get all the groups together. So that's already happening. And I want you to know, first and foremost, before I unpack this passage this morning, you're invited. I want you to become like Jesus. I want you to live like him because then you're going to start to look like him. And your life will be different. But then next week, part of that process is understanding you've got to change your scorecard. If you're going after everything that this world has to offer, you're still going to miss it. You won't experience the abundant life Jesus has promised. But I want you to get it. I want you to land there. So that's the process. Belong, believe, become, and then bring. How do I know this? Because what we find in our passage, the first couple of verses, after the disciples have found a place of belonging, they're believing in who he is. I mean, they're they're scratching the surface. Next week, we're going to come back, and Peter's going to confess it. But then Jesus sends him out. So he says, now that you're becoming like me, I'm going to send you out with my power and authority. So the first thing we find is we journey with Jesus by being sent. We journey with Jesus by being sent. So how do we stay on the journey? We have the mindset that we experience the extraordinary by understanding we're sent. We experience the extraordinary by going. We're we're in motion. And and what I mean by that is too often people have felt like, well, pastors are sent and and missionaries are sent and evangelists are sent, um, but I'm not sent. But I'm here to tell you, the question is not whether or not you're sent. The question is, to whom and to where are you sent? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What we find is, after the resurrection, Jesus has hung out with the disciples and other people for 40 days. And then we get to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and Jesus says, Now, before I go to the right hand of the Father, last thing I'm going to tell you, go and do this. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. And here's the best part. As you go and do that, I'm going with you. What a promise. So what I want to tell you this morning is that you are sent. You maybe haven't realized it. So the first point for you is to recognize you've been sent. You thought you bought that house in the neighborhood because it was a great price or you liked the way that it met your family's needs. Well, I've got news for you this morning. God said, that's great. I want to provide for your family, but I also want you to interact with those people that you're living near. You're sent to your neighborhood. And and you got that job and you said, man, this is awesome. Great benefits for my family. It's going to provide for my family. And Jesus says, absolutely. God provides for the sparrows. He's going to provide for you. But you know what? More than a paycheck, I sent you there for the people. You've been sent to your workplace. So you've got to go into these environments with a sending mentality to say, I've been sent. Now what am I supposed to do with this? For you to stay on the journey with Jesus, you need to understand you've been sent. So Shelly and I moved a couple of months ago. I'm going to invite Shelly, if you don't mind, to come and share. And ever since we've lived overseas and now come back to the U.S., we've lived with the mindset of we're sent. Now, how do we do that better and better? And so I want Shelly to share, because we moved two months ago, about what that process has looked like for us. Hi, I'm Shelly. So I'm going to give you like 15 years in like 10 seconds, okay? So Zach and I were teaching. We were living in the Chicago area. Um, Then we went overseas, and we did overseas work for roughly 10 years, and then we are here. You know, so now we're back in the States, we're living in America, and so Zach and I are now re-evaluating what all this means to us, and we have the benefit of reflecting on how we lived in America before, 
Okay, so is everybody with me? So Zach and I grew up in Christian homes. Uh, we understood, you know, Bible principles. I won't say we knew everything about the Bible. We still don't. But we understood love your neighbor. So I would say when we lived in America before, we loved our neighbors. We knew generally who they were, and we kind of had an idea of their needs, roughly. So for example, our neighbors um, to the left of us in Chicago were very elderly and had no business shoveling snow in the winter. But our neighbor, Harry, right? I mean, he was out there like the sun barely popped up and he's out there shoveling. So Zach and I are talking about this, like where are their children? I mean, who's out there? Why is he out there? So Zach is having to like get his snow gear on, run outside to help Harry because he's gonna do it. And so Zach's out there and he's like, Harry, just talk to me and I'll shovel for you. So we felt the need to love our neighbors, help our neighbors, to be kind. We, we had this in our minds. But I can't say we were overly missional in trying to understand their spiritual need or awareness. Um, you know, we may or may not have invited them to church if we felt like that was an obvious open door. So then we have to go on the mission field. <laughs> so maybe you guys can figure this out without having to go so far away from home. But in but our she's time... She's not saying God's going to send you to Sudan if you don't figure it out. No, I'm not ever going to say that. He might. He might. No, it's good. A different context gives you time for reflection, if we're honest. And that's what living overseas was for us. So as we're now like full-time missionaries, you know, you kind of think back how unmissional I was when I was living in the States and, you know, life was, I'll be honest, a bit easier than it is here and now. But this is what we're doing. Well, so then God just totally redirects our life. And now we have the opportunity to live in America again. So now we're trying to say, okay, this is what we did before. This is what we did overseas. Now we kind of have a chance to to rethink this and redo some things. How do we want to live in the States and how are we going to be missional? So of course, when we um, said we'd come here to the church, we needed to get a house. And so we pretty much chose a house as close to the church as possible, which was right over here in Wake Robin. We bought our house, we were situated, it met all of our needs, and I would say beyond our wants, and we were doing just fine. And then just a couple of months ago, we just really kind of had this stirring in our home and feeling like we were going to go and look at this other house. It's on the other side of town. And um, of course, we're looking at the obvious differences. The yard is very different. The neighborhood is very different. It's like woodsy. You know, it's like our kids can play in a creek. And, you know, we just really felt like how cool it would be for our kids to have this kind of childhood. And um, but the Lord just started really working on our hearts to say, it's not about the people. I mean, it's not about the neighborhood. It's about the people. And so how are we going to do this differently? And I'll be honest, better than we did even just two years prior moving into Wake Robin. So we came up with, came up with a plan. Um, we would we wanted to meet our neighbors. How are we going to meet our neighbors? Our house uh, sat vacant for two years. So within our street, you know, neighbors would stop by and talk to us and kind of tell us, you know, we kind of have some stories about your house. Like, why didn't anybody buy it for so long? And, you know, they kind of gave this little mystery to it. So Zach and I felt like, well, this is perfect. We can just go with that. So we made up a little paper that just to introduce our family. And we said, who bought 6232 Nichette Parkway? 
and just told a little bit about ourselves. We decided we'd make our favorite cookies that are delicious to us, obviously, thinking the whole world loves what we love. And we set out. We made a plan. We were going to go to, you know, the houses around us, which I forget how many we ended up going to. Anyway, we had a certain number of cookies and papers in our basket. And we wanted to go to each house. We didn't know how long that would take. We didn't really care. But, you know, some houses we would go to, introduce ourselves, give them the cookies, give them our paper. Maybe we'd spend five minutes. Go to the next house. Maybe nobody's home. You know, go to the next house. You know, we just kept going. We went to one house that first night. We stayed 45 minutes. It was, come in. Oh, we wanted to meet you. We want to know you. Take off your coats. And it was all just very, like, wow, this is like, Best, best moment, you know, to try to meet your neighbors. We met the whole family. We had snacks. Um, and so our take on that was, first of all, you have to just decide you're going to do it, right? And not just to know their names or to introduce ourselves. But now we have a really good idea of who are the people around us and what are their needs. There's definitely one couple that they're going to be prone to loneliness. We know that. And we can be aware of that now. We have other couples who are believers. And, you know, just different comments that they've shared with us. We feel like we have things that we can share with them to kind of help promote them in their faith. So, look, as we're going about our neighborhood, if the Lord's dropping something in my mind, I have a better idea of maybe how I can share that with my neighbor. So we're just trying to be more intentional and missional with where we're at. It's not about the house. And I told Zach, when we, before we actually bought the house, I started visualizing the for sale sign in the yard right away because I've had to buy and sell a lot of homes at this point. We've moved a lot of times, but I don't want anything to hold onto my heart. I don't want any, I don't want to have affection for something other than the Lord. And so I tried to go into this move with that same mentality that I'm here because the Lord has led me here. I'll leave that house if the Lord leads me away. It's about the people. Thanks, y'all. So it's about a shift in your mindset. And I'll say, so part of Shelly and I, so wanting to launch mentoring in the fall, we wanted to go ahead and start walking through the mentoring process with our staff. So we've been doing that. And part of that process is once a month you have a task to complete, to hold each other accountable to. And so this last month, the assignment was to make a map of your neighborhood, to put the names of those neighbors. And it didn't have to be your whole neighborhood, but I mean, if you've got, you know, Jesus worked with a dozen, so work with a dozen. You know, go six houses each direction. Put those names down and then try to figure out where are they at in terms of their commitment or awareness of who Jesus is. And so that was the assignment. And I'll tell you this too, this is why mentoring matters. We need accountability. So I talked about this in January, making a map, but even for us, we didn't make that map until it was an assignment that I had to, was accountable to for a group. Accountability matters to help us. We find in the book of Hebrews that we come together to spur each other on to faith and good works. And that's part of that process. And so we need one another to help us with that. And so uh, Mark and Ashley, uh, they were, of course, one of the couples that went through and, and made a bit of a map of their neighborhood. And I just love part of this story for them to share. Uh, Mark and Ashley, if you don't mind to come. And they've been in their neighborhood for almost three years. And this is typical. Why do we not get out to meet our neighbors? Because values in American society is individualism and privacy. So we think we're infringing upon that sometimes. And I think the enemy uses that to say, don't share the hope that you have. And we've got to move past that. 
Uh, so I just want Mark and Ashley to share what that looked like for them, because I'll tell you, it is a little bit of a, ooh, with a little bit of fear, I'm going to go after this. In fact, in the first service, in the worship time, somebody shared a word, and I felt like it applied to even this moment. It says, the same great I am humbled himself and came to serve. How many know we're here to serve our neighbors? Loving your neighbors is serving them. So that's part of it. He's our example. The one whose name makes demons tremble is the one who holds the trembling and fearful soul. Look, it's a little bit of a fearful thing to say, I'm going to step out and have conversations with my neighbors. But you don't need to fear that. What, why? Because God says, I'm with you as you do it. So may we trust in that. So guys, would you mind to share a little bit about that experience for you? Yeah, so I'm going to start out. Sorry, I've got a little bit of a cold. Um, so we were definitely scared to go, um, to go meet our neighbors. Um, but we kind of made a plan like, like they did, and we decided to make some food as well. Um, so just a little bit of background before we ever made to anybody's door. Um, we decided we would make apple bread to take to each one of our neighbors, and we're just going to start out with like five, just make it easy for ourselves. And um, so the first day, we have our plan. I make three loaves of bread. I have to pause you because he already smiled and snickered. Oh. <laughs> Their plan was five loaves of bread because Jesus multiplies it. <laughs> But we didn't bring any fish. We didn't, we didn't bring any fish. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he made that joke in the first service. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, I made three loaves of bread, and Mark is home that night, and it's raining. And we were like, great. So how stupid do we look going out in the rain to meet our neighbors? Like, there's got to be a better day to do this. So we postpone it, and we're like, okay, well, we'll wait a couple days. And that was on a Tuesday, so our next available night was on a Thursday. So Thursday, I make two more loaves. I now have five loaves sitting there on the counter. I've got them all wrapped up. We've got a little card with has our name on it and everything. And it's raining again that day. It, like, rained all day. And on top of that, Samuel had kind of gotten sick. So we're like, so how stupid do we look going out in the rain with a sick baby? Like, so we thought, we'll postpone it again. I told him, I was like, if this bread goes bad, I'm not going to be very happy that I spent all this time and money to make this bread. So we were busy on Friday, Saturday. I'm starting to come down with a cold, and we had family stuff, because this is past weekend, so it's Easter weekend, so we've got family stuff going on. And so we're like, we'll do it on Sunday afternoon. It's Easter Sunday, but it'll be okay. Probably People will probably be home. And as you guys know, it snowed. <laughs> we had no idea it was even supposed to snow. Like Samuel's taking a nap, and we're like, um, it's snowing, so I guess we're not going to anybody's house in the snow. So um, at that point, we were really ready to just give up. Like, we had good intentions, we tried, you know, we made a plan, and it just didn't work. But I really felt like it was just the enemy just um, trying to put that roadblock in front of us and just, um, you know, get us to not do what we had intended to do. So we decided we probably should just go ahead with our plan and um, just make it happen because that was the right thing to do. Yeah, so... We, um, we went out on Monday and, um, and that Monday night, and, and to be honest, we were nervous, very nervous, very scared um, to go to that first house. I, I mentioned this already in the first service, but literally we're walking up to the door and we're both looking at each other and like, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first. We're just trying to figure out who is even going to say something first. And, and one of the things we had talked about saying, which um, Pastor mentioned in January, was just go up. Um, we'd, been, we'd been in this neighborhood a while, so we knew people waved, but we didn't really know them. And so one of the things that um, we decided to do was just to say, hey, you know, we made a New Year's resolution to uh, meet all our neighbors and get to know them better this year. And so um, that's the mindset that I have coming up to the door. We ring the doorbell. And our neighbor comes to the door. She opens the door wide. And, and I'm about ready to start into that, that whole 
um, kind of prepared speech, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, and um, we have this little thing that we carry with us, our son called Samuel. <laughs> and if you know anything about Samuel, he's somewhat outgoing. And um, he, he just, she says, she sees him and, and just is like, oh, baby, you know. And she just like, at that moment, I, everything was lost, what we had planned to say. <laughs> and then Samuel like reached out his hands to her. And so, which he does to a lot of people. Um, and so immediately it was just, we just got invited in. We were, we were, um, we were in um, every single house um, that we went. We got invited in and sat down and um, talked with them. One, one neighbor, actually, we invited them into our house um, because they wanted to look at our cabinet. So we, we invited them over to our house. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was, um, I, I, I said this um, earlier, you know, I, I would say our, our talks did not go any, you know, weren't like spiritually deep at all. In fact, they weren't. Um, one one kind of turned a little bit to um, spiritual when they found out that I was youth pastor, but for the most part, it was just getting to know them. And I think two things that God kind of showed us through the whole thing is um, afterwards that that I felt just a little bit of, I don't know if the word is guilt, but I just, like, what had taken me so long to go and do this? What had taken, I mean, um, I said this the first service, we have a hope. We have a hope that everybody in the world wants, and it took me so long to share that. Um, and then I think, I think really um, the second thing, now, now I'm drawing a blank on the second thing. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Um, <laughs> was really afterwards just um, a sense of, of joy and excitement. Um, about about what is going to happen. Like I said, no spiritual depth conversation happened, but um, I looked at it and we looked at it like we planted seeds. We did what God has asked us to do and we planted some seeds. I don't know if we're going to reap a harvest. I don't know if somebody else is going to reap a harvest, but I, I believe that a harvest is going to be reaped out of the lives of our neighbors. And so um, I encourage you, it's worth it. Do it. <laughs> Do it, do I was it, just going to follow up. So one lady, she, she's like a grandma, and she she's, um, has custody of her two, her two grandkids, and she, they offered to babysit for us. Like the kids were just enamored with Samuel, and then she was like, oh, we'll babysit like any time. <laughs> we were like, oh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a nice offer, and we don't really know them, but I mean, like it's, she's just, she was just so happy that we had mm. come and just to met her, meet her. And, and then um, the first lady that we, that we went to talk with that, um, that Samuel just reached out his arms to, she, she wrote me a message like the next day and was like, thank you so much. It was like on Facebook. She was like, thank you so much for coming over. I really enjoyed the bread. Like, it was just so nice to meet you guys. So we're already awesome. just seeing some people, you know, that are just, just happy that we made That's an amazing. effort. That's so. great. Thanks. Can we thank Mark and Ashley? <laughs> Part of how you experience the extraordinary by going is I truly believe there's a richness in relationships that you can't find in any other aspect in life. No amount of money that you can earn in life will compare with the joy of relationships in your life. I'm convinced of it. And again, this is gonna tie into next week as we talk about changing scorecards. Relationships matter. So I just encourage you, part of experiencing the extraordinary is going. And the second part tied to that is we journey with Jesus by sharing his story with others. That we experience the extraordinary by sharing God's goodness with people around us. That's part of the journey, that's part of the process. It, I find it really interesting that between these two scriptures of Jesus sending the disciples and then the miracle of the multiplication of bread and fish is we have this little narrative of Herod hearing about Jesus. And Luke does that because what he's trying to say is, 
Once Jesus started sending out the 12, instead of visiting one village at a time, now they're going to 12. So now the news of Jesus is being spread and Herod is starting to hear and, and he's beginning to become curious about who Jesus is. And I love that. But I think the challenge for us is kind of a little bit of the intimidation of how do we share Jesus. And in fact, one of the, the people who signed up for the mentoring program, a mentee, she said, in the mentoring process of nine months, are you going to teach us how we you know, evangelize, how we share Jesus with others? And, and I said, well, yes, but probably not in the way you're thinking. Because so often we think we've got to take some kind of a class of learning the Romans road or, you know, take a napkin and draw two cliffs and find, you know, we're separated from God, the cross, it gets us connected to God. Like, we think we need classes on this stuff. And what I want to tell you is, for me, we're just meant to live and look like Jesus. Where people look at us and they say, you've got something I want. And I think we've fallen short of that because we haven't entered into the process whereby we really are transformed in incredible ways. And that's what mentoring is for. So what I want to encourage you is the, the three things I would say that we're going to try to draw out of you in mentoring. So yeah, we're actually going to have a month where we take a look at what does it look like to share Jesus with others? And you just look at the natural interactions of Jesus in the New Testament, and there's three things you find. Number one, he was kind. He was kind. Now, there were sometimes some interesting interactions with Jesus and the religious people, but that's a different situation. We'll talk about that some other time. But when Jesus was interacting with lost people, unchurched people, people who were far from him, he was kind. So the first place you start is be kind. And you might be able to picture some Christians in your life in your past, maybe, who weren't so kind. And that's a really rough witness of who Jesus is, if that's the case. Uh, one of the tasks that I have in our home is I drive our kids to school. And so I was driving our kids to school one morning a couple weeks ago, and I saw on a bumper sticker... It said, horn broken, watch for finger. Nice bumper sticker. Nate sits in the front seat with me. <laughs> I was waiting. I'm like, I'm going to wait for him to read that. So I can tell he's like reading. And then all of a sudden he like looks, like big eyes like, did you see that bumper sticker? Like, that's awful. But here's what I'd like to ask you this morning. Wouldn't it be weird if like somebody had that bumper sticker and then they had like a church bumper sticker next to it? Like, who's, I'm not going to that church. Like, that's not a great witness. But, but I say that as an example to illustrate, unfortunately, with our interactions in our community, if we're not being kind, we're kind of living out that bumper sticker. We might profess our Christianity by our mouth, but it doesn't really come out in our lifestyle. That's not the way we're meant to live. We're meant to be kind. So start with that. Be kind. Second thing is be present. That's what Jesus was. He was present. So be present in your neighborhoods. Make yourself known there. When you're checking out at Walmart... Greet that person. Hey, Mary, how's your day going? Be present in that moment. Don't be flipping through Facebook, totally ignoring the person that's behind you, checking you out. Be present. And the last thing is, be brave. It really starts with kindness and presence. But then Jesus may ask you to share himself in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise if you wouldn't have been engaging with that person. And in that moment, just be brave. Uh, one of those examples, last spring we went through a connect group as a church on Naturally Supernatural. And one of those nights was to go out and practice that, be kind, be present, and be brave if, if that's what Jesus calls for. And so Shelly and I, it was raining, so the weather was terrible, so it brought us inside, and we went on a date, because um, we don't do that enough. Sorry, we, we should find ways to do that. We need to know your neighbor, if you could give us her phone number. Um, <laughs> but we went out to Applebee's and just ordered, you know, something to eat, and, 
And uh, as we were engaging with the server that was there, we saw that she had a, a cross tattooed on her neck. And so Shelly said, hey, I see your tattoo of a cross. Tell me about that. So she shared a little bit of, of her story. And Shelly said, well, you, you know what? I just had felt led in, in our time here to, to pray with you. Would you be okay with you prayed with you? And what was interesting is I forget the comment she made, but it was something to the effect of, I thought you just wanted to invite me to church. And, and she said, but you really just want to pray with me. She sat down in the booth. She told the hostess, don't seat anybody at my table. I need to talk with these people for a minute. She shared her life story. We just took time to pray with her. And for whatever reason, we didn't feel led to invite her to church. So what I'm basically saying is that's not really the answer. The answer is you to be Jesus into the world. So it's not really my job to just give an altar call. Now I'm going to do that because I want to lead people to faith. It is our job collectively to shine like Jesus outside these walls. That's what we should be going after. And so I say that to say, be kind, be present, and be brave if God asks for it. The brave part was, hey, could we pray with you? And, and we got to hear a bit more of her life story. So journeying with Jesus, it requires being sent. It requires sharing his story. And the last thing that it does is it requires us to, uh, requires us to give generously. That, that basically, we experience the extraordinary as we watch God multiply our gifts. We experience the extraordinary as we watch God multiply our gifts. I find it really interesting that part of this narrative, you know, the context of this passage for the disciples is that they've gone out. Jesus says, don't take anything with you. Watch how God provides for you. And they come back. They tell Jesus about the, the things that have happened. And then they've got this crowd of people and they say, Jesus, we need to send them away. Uh, we don't have enough food. So it's like something's not connecting here. I just sent you out. You didn't take anything with you. God took care of you. But that's okay. That's why I still have you on a journey with me. I'm going to keep helping you grow in your faith. And so they say, we need to send them away. And, and uh, Jesus says, well, why don't you give them something to eat? You should, you should be there now. And the disciples are, ooh, um, I don't think so, Jesus. You ever had those moments? Like, I don't think so, Jesus. Pay for the person behind you in the, in the, in the food line. I don't think so, Jesus. Um, you know, I would love for you to abide in me. I want to pour heaven into you. Could you take some time to, to read your Bible and pray? I don't think so, Jesus. Like, that, those are the conversations we have. And Jesus says, but watch what I could do. Watch what I can do in your life if you follow, if you journey completely with me, and you live in my name. One of the incredible parts of this passage, the thing that stood out to me, one thing, the last few words, 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets left over. Have you ever thought about that? Like, like did Jesus, like, overestimate their hunger? Well, these people are hungry. Pour it out, you know? Did he over, no, you know, did, did he, did he overshoot his power? Like, whoa, oh man, made a little bit too much, 12 baskets left over. No, I think part of what Jesus is saying there, because again, we look in the context of Jesus is taking the disciples on a journey. And so what he's telling the disciples is, you didn't think that you could feed them, but watch what can happen when I bless things. I think there is an abundance, an infinite fullness that's available to us that we're just not scratching the surface of. I firmly believe it. And what's required of us is that we stay in the journey and we say, Jesus, I trust you. Take that which I have and bless it. And I want to see it multiply. First Sunday in May, we're, we're taking up an offering, a miracle offering for kingdom builders. So I talked a little bit about kingdom builders earlier with Cameron and she shared how we're investing in next generation. And what I would put before you as it relates to kingdom builders, what was required for that miracle of multiplication to happen was five loaves and two fish. Where did that come from? If you look in the Gospel of John, it came from a boy, a boy who said, take these things to the disciples, 
Use them for your purposes. See what God could do with those things. So my question for you as it relates to kingdom builders, to tie that into this message a bit, as we head into this miracle offering that's coming in May, what are the five loaves and two fish that Jesus is asking? Because what I would assert to you is, is as you give give those things, he will bless and multiply those in extraordinary ways. I love that as we give to kingdom builders, we get to see the church locally expand. That's a part of it. I love that as we give to kingdom builders, we're going to see a church planted in Iraq that we can see Iraqis come to know Jesus in, in powerful ways. I love that I get to be a part of a health care clinic that's going to be built in Tibet, and we get to see God do incredible things in Tibet. I love that I get to be a part of transitional housing for orphans in Africa. I love that. So God, basically I say, God, take these kingdom builder gifts, and I can't wait to see how you multiply the impact. I can't wait to see what God does through the life of Cameron and other young adults who we've invested in to say, you matter in the kingdom, your life matters, go make a difference in the world. So I encourage you, as we head to that miracle offering in May, let's enter into the abundance that's available to us. What are the five loaves and two fish that Jesus is asking you? So what I want to leave you with is the thought of you're invited on this journey to experience the extraordinary, and you experience the extraordinary as we all journey with Jesus together. So you're invited to that today, and I don't want anybody to miss out. So where do you find yourselves today? Are you in a place of belonging? If not, can you find that? Are you in a place of believing in who Jesus is? If not, make that decision today. And if you haven't yet entered into a space of applying to become a part of the mentoring process, because our job, I'll tell you, my job more than weddings and funerals and hospital visits and everything else that I love doing, my job is to help you to live and to look like Jesus. That's my job. So that's why we've changed everything in the church to say, this is what we're going to go after. I want you to live and to look like Jesus. So you can go on to our homepage and you can find a place where you can sign up for the mentoring program because we want to pour into you so that you look like Jesus and people begin to ask questions of, I want what they have. That's how you're going to be a witness. And so where do you find yourself this morning? Do you belong? Do you believe? Have you become, are you becoming, are you in that process? Have you applied for that so that you can bring others in the same? I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I I just want to ask that question going back to the belief portion. Maybe you're here and you found a place of belonging, or maybe this is your first Sunday and you've entered into the space because Jesus says, come follow me, you belong here. But now you need to take the next step to say, Jesus, I want to put my faith and believe in you. So if that's where you find yourself today and say, I need to make that decision. I want to believe in who Jesus is so I can keep going on this journey to the next step of becoming like him. With every head bowed in this room today, I just want to ask if that's you today, simply raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave from this place. I want to help you get connected in community. So anybody here today and say, that's me. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to believe in him deeply today. Anybody today that would say, that's me. I need to believe in Jesus. I just want to pray and I'll tell you, it's hard to see hands in this room sometimes. And I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to the front. And if that's where you're at today, as we close in song, I just invite you, come forward out of your seat, come meet with Pastor Mark and we'll meet with prayer team members. They want to get you a Bible and say, here's how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. Here's how you stay on the journey. Jesus, I just ask that you would pour out your spirit upon this place. I pray for a growing hunger for the things of God. Jesus, I just pray that we'd be hungry to stay on the journey. Lord, for the promises as we are hungry and thirsty for more of you, that we will be satisfied. So God, I pray for satisfaction today. I pray for real satisfaction. And God, I just pray that you'd lead us well as we journey with you. Help us stay on the path. May we journey together as a church. May no one be left out. May everyone know that they're invited. And God, as we enter into this space in the years to come and 
and are equipping people to shine like you, I just pray, Jesus, that you would bless people with abundant lives, rich and satisfying lives. May people truly experience the extraordinary as they live in your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.